We are jumping back into Acts, and man, what a, what a great joy it is to really look into the early church, to see the movement of the early church, to see the empowerment of the early church. Um, when you look at this, it's, you, you can see an outline of the promise, the empowerment, the witness, and then when you look at the witness, really it takes you through the rest of uh, the book of Acts from Jerusalem, and here we find ourselves in Jerusalem, and we'll get into Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, and, uh, but last week I didn't, I, uh, Dr. Mosier got on to me, he said, Pastor, you forgot a very important passage of scripture at the very end of Acts chapter 3, and I'm like, you are absolutely correct, my brother, and I, I apologize, so I have to, I have to start where I was ending last week so that I can continue, because in reality, we are still on Solomon's porch, and this is still a continuation of the incident and the environment that they were in, in um, Acts chapter 3. We recognize that uh, what took place was the the occasion for witness. The occasion was somebody was in need, right? How many know that that we have occasions to witness often? Amen. Amen? We talked about last week how uh, on missions trips we often tell people, hey, make sure that you are aware of uh, the divine appointments that you find when you walk through the streets, no matter where we are. It could mean we're in a restaurant. It could mean that we're walking down the streets. It could mean we're in a worship service. But make sure you're willing to be keenly aware of the miraculous moments or the divine appointments that God places in front of us. And, and, and I kind of um, got a spanking when I was in the process of telling Dr. Mosier that that's what I often encourage people to do because in reality we are missionaries wherever we are and that even here in our daily actions and interactions we should be looking for those miraculous moments we should be looking for those divine appointments because God has set us here as witnesses for him and as we see in this passage or in in the beginning of the book of Acts, we've been given this promise. We have seen this promise uh, being poured out uh, for a purpose, so that you will be my witnesses. And therefore, if we are his children, anointed by him, our purpose is to be his witness, right? So we see that occasion of witness. We see the contents of that witness. We see how they were sharing uh, the truth of God's words and and then we also see the result of that witness. And I believe that's where we're at right now. We're seeing the results of that witness of how um, the message was able to go forth. But at the very end of Acts chapter 3, and, and this is a part of that message, because um, what's going on to me right now in Israel, this is, this is almost speaking that message to them. Uh, because it says in verse 21, Whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things. You know, we, we're, we're seeing a war take place, and in any moment, we, you know, we don't know if this is another um, 
incursion-like in 2021 or 2014, or if this is a seven-day war, if this is a you know a 1973 war. But all I do know is that these incidences can turn into an end-of-time event at any given moment. And the question to me is, is, are we ready for that moment? Are we ready to, uh, for him to step onto the clouds of glory and call, call his children home? You know, uh, I think Jimmy Swagger used to sing, uh, Son, go bring my children home. You know, are, are we ready for that moment if, when the Lord calls? But <clears throat> let me get back to where I was at. So at the end of that, you know, here, here is Peter sharing this message, and he's telling them, he's like, look, these are the, these are the voices that you have heard throughout history. These are, these are the promises that was given from our forefathers. And he talks about Moses. For Moses truly said to, to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, the, from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things whether he says to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. And I love this. I love how Peter then really makes this personal to these folks that were standing around there. It wasn't, it wasn't them and those and they. He said this in verse 25, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then I love this ending verse of this. It says, to you first. Come on, right? To you first, God having raised up his servant, Jesus. So this, is, this goes back to you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. To you first. This witness has manifest right here for you first, you are the first ones to receive this blessing. You are the first ones to, to, to see and hear and know that this is the Son of God. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of, your, of you from your iniquities. We know what when we talk about what the Lord has come to do, we talk about Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, right? Jesus come, we, we look at other things, Jesus come, Jesus came to serve and not be served. But here we see Jesus came to bless. To bless. Even Jesus himself said I did not come in, in John 3 and 17 I did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through me might be saved thank God for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that gives us a hope of glory that though this body may decay from age 
or die from the, the results of a sinful nature, whatever that may look like, guess what? This is not our eternal home. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There's no damnation of this body in Christ Jesus because we have eternal life and life more abundantly in him. Amen. So that's the message that, that he was sharing. And now as he was sharing this, we find ourselves uh, continuing in this story in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already Evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Wow. So here they are. They're, they're sharing this amazing message for the very ones that are about to lay hands on them. <laughs> And they're showing their love, sharing a message of hope, sharing a message of love and compassion to them. But, but here is this group, the captain of the temple. Now, we, this might be the, the Senate, captain of the Senate police, if you will. The ones that were supposed to stop the... Never mind, I'm not going to... Um, some of y'all laughed. I saw some, I saw some of y'all laugh a little bit. Anyway, the captain of the temple, the police force of the temple. And then, the, and then here's the priest together with the priest, the Sadducees. All of them came together to arrest Peter and John. They came upon them. Really, the, the word came upon is they stopped and seized them. They just didn't come up and tap them on the shoulder. Hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> the, the, the meaning of that literally means that they came and grabbed a hold of them. They seized them suddenly. And so basically it's like, okay, enough's enough. We've had enough of this. And they grabbed them and to take them away. Now, the words there says that they were greatly disturbed. Now, we know that the Sadducees, or, or maybe we don't know, the Sadducees didn't believe in the res resurrection as some of you may have heard this, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, matter of fact, um, they didn't believe in an afterlife. They thought that this was all that they had. So they were living their high life, the, the, their, their highest life at that moment. And so here they were. They, they hear them speaking in Jesus' name, teaching, and they see them talking about Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And so they were greatly disturbed at their message and grabbed a hold of them. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. What were they arrested for? Were they arrested because they were thieves? Were they arrested because they were doing something wrong? Was, they, was there suspicions of terrorism going on with the Peter and John as they were on going into the hour of prayer? Was, was there something malicious taking place, dangerous happening? Well, all they were teaching was Jesus raised from the dead. 
And all that they were accused of was doing good. You know, something about the Word of God says everywhere Jesus was, he was doing good. (laughs) And so they were just doing good. They were just uh, sharing the love of Jesus and seeing a man healed and crippled, who was crippled for his entire life. They put them in custody until the next day. Normally, uh, this would be an intimidation tactic. So really what they're doing is trying to intimidate them. They're trying to put fear into the life of Peter and John, trying to squelch their voice and them being greatly disturbed. Not Peter and John, but uh, all these others being greatly disturbed and laid hands on them. So, this Ken, this is kind of like you, you know. You, you like to rough me up a little bit every Sunday morning. You don't come in with a gentle touch and just say, I love you, buddy. He usually grabs me up and, you know, puts a little rough touch on that. Rough me up a little bit. I appreciate it. Big brother. Big brother. Oh, it's big brother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have been to the hospital three times with stitches in my head from my big brothers. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little... You're much general, gentler than my big brothers. <laughs> but they were rough with them. They didn't just, come here, buddy, let me tell you something. Let me pull you to the side. They grabbed a hold of them, roughly, laying hands on them. And, and really, if you, if you look at verse 21, it, it shows that, that there were threats made. So the entire atmosphere was there to really just try to intimidate them, to keep them from saying anything else. And as Acts 4.21 says, mentions further threats. In other words, for there to be further threats, there were threats made even at this beginning. It wasn't just they laid hands on them. They were telling them, look, if you don't be quiet, we're going to rough you up. We'll, we'll, uh, we're going to hurt you. We're gonna, you keep preaching and see what we'll do. We'll arrest you. We'll beat you. Uh, you, remember, you remember what we did to Jesus, right? If you keep preaching, we're going to harm your family. We're gonna, hey, threats were made. And if you think about this, you know, Christianity is, is a major body across the whole world. But at that moment, Christianity was in its infancy. It was a small group of people, 3,000, about to be 5,000, 8,000. So here, so here you are, say 8,000 against the world. And these guys are trying to squelch that voice, trying to, I mean, even in this passage, we find that there are like 11 different people who are against them at this moment. Just, and, and, and that's at least 11, right? Think about this. They have uh, the priests, the Sadducees, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, others from the family of the high priest, right? And then it goes on to the captain of the temple, to uh, Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, that's 11, right? So they've got at least 11 high officials that are absolutely against them at this moment. 
they are few in numbers. Uh, they don't have the experienced leadership. The, the head leader has now been um, taken up. And here they are. They're commanded, don't fight back. Don't be militant. They were opposed by institutions and that had existed for hundreds of years. Wow, right? These guys were literally declaring, we have the power that if you keep on preaching, we can take you out. We can kill you. I think what a beautiful yet <laughs> horrific <laughs> scene but a great example for the body of Christ to understand that we've got to keep on preaching the word of God. We've got to keep declaring the word. Amen? So the number of them was about 5,000. Uh, despite the opposition to coming against the gospel, despite you know, um, all the intimidation happening, here the church was continuing to grow. It was continuing to increase. Isn't it amazing when you look at the history of the church that in every, every generation, every time it has been uh, come against, every time it has been opposed, every time there has been persecution, it is in those moments that the body of Christ grows the greatest. That's an oh me or amen or whoo, Lord help us. <laughs> amen? It didn't, the opposition didn't slow down the body of Christ. It didn't slow down God's plan, right? All their shows of power plays, all their threats, all their intimidation was all for ineffectiveness. It wasn't effective for the plan of God. The people who started following Jesus Christ continue to follow Jesus Christ and they continue to preach the gospel. Amen. What's crazy is, is in our Western world, Christianity rarely faces persecution. We rarely face the intimidation that these uh, early church fathers faced. Matter of fact, the enemy doesn't come with us with the same intimidation. It doesn't come to us with the same methods that he did in those days. Instead, he attacks us with worldliness. He attacks us with compromise. He attacks us with selfish pride. He attacks us with self-righteousness. He attacks us with the need for acceptance and the idea of a status symbol. That's where you say, oh, Lord, help us. Had one doctor, a friend of mine in Honduras, who would, uh, he was uh, also a great preacher of the word of God. And uh, anything that was said in that manner, he would yell out, Ay de me, oh me, God help us, right? The fact is, is that martyrdom, and if you understand the word witness, the, wit the word witness is our word for martyr. Martyrdom can impress unbelievers with a courage so strong, a faith so deep. 
But the self-centered, compromised Christian is despised by the world. The world looks at our Western Christianity with contempt because they look at us with self-righteousness as if, you know, you're not giving your life. You're not, you're not dedicated. You're not committed. You, you, preach a good, you, you preach a good preach, but you don't walk the walk that you preach. You, you don't follow this word as, right? We can tell everybody what to do, but do we do it? So, I mean, we, we, we have this mentality. We, we see our brothers in Israel. I mean, can, can we go and tell them, oh, you won't have to suffer for Jesus? Our Western mentality says, Jesus will come back before you have to suffer. What do we tell them? What do we tell the Iranian Christians where over a, a half a million of them have been killed in the last 10 years? Oh, you don't have to suffer. Jesus is going to come back before you, before you have to do that. The point is, is, are we empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand in the fronts of judges? Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit to to take a stand for God, no matter what the environment around us entails, will they, will they look at us? Will they be able to see, as in this chapter, and we'll get to it in a minute, will they be able to look at us and say, hey, we know that they are not the most intelligent. That, that might be me. Uh, we know that they are not educated people, but there's something about these guys. They have been with Jesus. Can the world say and look at us and say, man, there's something about those guys. They've been with Jesus, and there's something powerful about them. There's something different about them. They're not just like everybody else. They're not just talking a talk. They're walking the walk. That was where y'all could say amen. Rulers, elders, scribes, they were all together. It was, it was to me, here's, here's the, I was underlying key scriptures in this passage, and to me this is one of those very key scrap, uh, passages. Verse 7 says, By what power or by what name have you done this? By what power and by what name? You know what this was about? This was about questioning their own personal authority. This was about them losing the grasp of being able to tell everybody what to do. Isn't how, how the enemy works? He wants to, he wants to bring a, a usurping authority in to usurp the authority that God has established that's how the enemy works. He wants to control. He wants to cause a, 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 an environment of control. And when you lose control, we get all feisty. But someone who's walking in Jesus already gave up control. <laughs> They've already turned control over to the Lord and know that Every day is only because of the grace of God. They wake up every morning recognizing that if, if the Lord doesn't want me to do it, it's not going to happen. 
And if God wants me to be fruitful, he will empower me to be that way. If he wants to show me something, I'm going to have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. If he wants me to, whatever he wants me to accomplish, the Lord is the one who leads my path, right? His word is a lamp in my feet. What is his word? His word is his authority. His word is his anointing. His word is his power. And his, his word is a lamp into my feet and a light to my path. If God wants to lead me, I have to be willing to surrender, submit, and follow God's plan. Ooh, that's hard for us, right? You go through the book of Ephesians, and we talk about submit. Right now we're talking about submit in uh, 1 Peter. Submission is such a hard word for us Westerners because we like to be in control. At least we like to feel like we're in control. And that's the problem with the religious group. They think they're in control. They want to control their environment. They want to cling to their power. They want to cling to status. They want to cling to positions. When positions and status are being questioned, then they want to know, in whose name are you talking? By what authority are you speaking these things? Who has given you the right to say that to these people? I mean, look. What are they saying? The Lord has come to bless you. They've they've said nothing, but the Lord has come to bless you. He's come to fulfill what you have been teaching us all this time. Isn't that something exciting? Wait a minute, no. If it takes away my authority, if it takes away my position, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I'm preaching better than y'all pressing. Amen. Come on. (laughs) But isn't that true? Don't we get intimidated by that sometimes? God help us. God help us, right? I mean, we could say legitimately, it was a legitimate inquiry that they were making. Uh, That's the good southern way to say the inquiry (laughs) for those of you who are a little more professional. I mean, it was legitimate for them to say that. I mean, here they are. They're the guardians of the Jewish faith. By, uh, they naturally were concerned about what was being taught. It, 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 there's that sense, but yet that's not it. <laughs> we can make that excuse for them, but that's not the reason. They were trying to ultimately threaten their power. Isn't that the question that's still being asked today? By the, by the world to the church? By what authority are you operating? Who makes you think that you have the only answer to the world's problems? By what name do you think you can give that, that you're the only way to eternity in heaven? Still being questioned. But that's where when we operate in this authority, we will see the demonstrations and the power of the Holy Spirit that they cannot deny God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I need to keep on reading. Lord help us. Time just gets away. Um, Where am I at? Verse 8. I done flipped 
There we go. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means, <laughs> by what means he has been made well, let us let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole, complete, healed. This, verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. In other words, he's quoting to them scriptures that they know very personally out of Psalms chapter 118, verse 22. And then he says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Man, he, it was as if Jesus patiently wove the whip and he just cleaned house. He just cleaned house. He just gave them a very <laughs> powerful word. First of all, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are not intimidated by what the world says. Come on. There is a... The, words, the Word of God tells us this in the Old Testament. says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's a Holy Ghost boldness that rises up when we are full of the Holy Spirit, when we are truly operating in His presence and in Him, when we're walking in the Spirit of God. I mean, it says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we recognize that Peter was filled on the day of Pentecost. But then all of a sudden it says, He's being refilled. In other words, the Word of God tells us, be continually filled. Where, where it says, be not drunk with wine, where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The word there is literally to be being filled. In other words, it doesn't, it, it's not grammatically correct in our version, so what it means is be continually filled. In other words, we can't just have a one-moment experience and expect everything to go hunky-dory the rest of our life. It is a continual relationship with God. It is a continual going back to the well. Do you drink one glass of water and think that's the last glass of water that you'll ever have? No. You drink water every single day or coffee or tea or whatever that looks like for you. But the fact is, is you'll go thirsty if you, if you stop drinking. And we will grow dry if we are not continually sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving from the throne room of God. And it's not a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night. It is a daily relationship with God that we find strength, encouragement, that we're being fed, that we're, that we're being um, made empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so you can see in Peter's tone, he's not intimidated. I mean, he said, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that you're going to judge me for doing something good? Right? I mean, that's pretty bold, right? This is the same people that condemned Jesus that had him killed, that had him flogged, that had him beaten, that had his beard plucked out, that had him killed, and yet Peter is not intimidated by their tactics. Amen. <laughs> I mean, he was lodging a piercing 
word toward them. And then he goes on, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. Man, it just gets sharper and sharper. These boys are brave and bold. This is the stone. He reminds them of the scriptures. This is the stone that the builders have rejected. Your word said it would be this way. Your, your word has told us that you would reject him and that he would become the chief cornerstone. This is your word. This is the word which you have learned and grown up in and memorized and you have fulfilled it. Amen. Amen. And then he declares, nor is salvation in any other name but this name of Jesus. John 14 says, I am the way, the truth. This is Jesus telling his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but by me. It's only through me. Jesus has declared, I'm the only way. And so here they are reiterating, Jesus is the only way. You know, I'm going to turn to Hebrews just for a second. Hebrews 26 says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So in context, what this word is saying to a group of Jewish people is, is that if you turn away... From Jesus, now that you have known him as the truth, and you turn back to Judaism, the sacrifice of Jesus that has been made for you eternally and forever is no longer available in your former religion. For you watching online, <laughs> now let, can I put this in context for you? This Because this hit me like a ton of bricks as I was studying it. Let me put it in context for you. Verse 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another daily so much as more as you see the day approaching. And then it goes in, for if we sin willfully. Mm. Ouch. You know, it's amazing to me how many people say, well, I love, I love Jesus. But they don't like his body? That's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. You know what I'm saying? If you love Jesus, then you'll be a part of his body. You'll be a part of it. And it's saying, if you are not a part of his body, if you forsake the being a part of the body, you are walking in willful sin. And if you're walking in willful sin, turning away from the body of Christ, then what are you turning to? Because if you're not a part of me, then what are you, what are you a part of? I need to keep on going. I done going to meddling. I'm, boy, I'm telling you, that's the preacher in me. I'm going to meddling. But you know, the thing is, is how the world hates, hates such a statement that Jesus is the only way. 
You can talk about God all you want to to many people. Even atheists will entertain a message about God. But when you get personable and you start talking about Jesus, ooh, man, they don't like it. Because, you know, they can talk about God being Allah. They can talk about God being this or that. But when you start saying Jesus is the only way, there is no other name under heaven given by men that we shall be saved. That is very direct. But Yeshua, Jesus, the Savior, come on. God help us that we live in a generation that's getting harder and harder for our young people to proclaim Jesus because there's more and more pressure for them to be silenced, to be quiet. They can go around talking about being gay or being transgender or being non-binary, whatever that's supposed to mean. They, they can go around talking and say, they, they can proudly uh, proclaim all those things and not feel any pressure, not feel any condemnation, but when they raise up and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a blood-bought child of God, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, it's like the whole system is against them today. Because they don't like the name of Jesus because Jesus means that something's got to change in you. Jesus means that Okay, so when you think of Jesus and you think of Christ, Christ is the anointed one. The anointed one is a transliteration from the Old Testament, Psalms chapter 2, where he is the king, the anointed one. When someone was anointed, they were the anointed one, they were the king. Well, Jesus is now the king of kings and lord of lords. And so when it says Jesus Christ, it's saying he's the Messiah, the, the Messiah, which is the the anointed one, the king. In other words, Jesus is King Jesus. And all other authority has to bow at the name of Jesus. All other kingship, all other lordship, all other authority has to be uh, under his authority. And therefore, as Jesus, the king of glory, the king of kings, he reigns in everything. And for our Western mentality of of voting systems and elected leaders, we have a hard time understanding that when we accept Jesus Christ, he becomes the ultimate authority of our life, and that is what salvation looks like. It is our submission to the ultimate authority of, of the universe of ever and ever. And so therefore, whatever Jesus said, it is not debatable, it's not questionable. We don't determine whether we like it or not. It is Jesus said it. It has to be done that way because he is the king of the universe. The world don't like it. The devil don't like it. The Jews of that day didn't like it. They reacted to Peter's message. We see this in verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies... No, see, I'm back in Hebrews. Boy, I'm telling you. Verse 13, and now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were marveled and they realized that, the, that he had been with Jesus. Go on, says, and seeing the man who had been healed, in other words, they couldn't deny he was right there in front of them. And seeing the man who had been healed Standing with them, they could not say nothing against it. 
Let me say that again. They couldn't say anything against it. They had no opposition. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them. It is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. Everyone knew it. Everybody passed by that street. Everybody walked to the temple. That guy's been sitting there from the time of his birth. He's been carried there every single day. It is nothing new. They see him every single day, and now they see him. 5,000 of them see him walking, leaping, jumping. Everybody in Jerusalem knew by this moment that this man has been healed. It was, it was astronomical. It was amazing. It was a phenomenal miracle, and they could not deny it. <laughs> Isn't that what it says right there at the end? And we cannot deny it. Listen, when we, when we were walking in the power and unction of the Holy Spirit, we will see the verse 7 moments. By what power and authority are you operating? And to me, this is a, a, another significant thing. When you're operating in the Spirit, there'll be things happen that the world can't deny. They can't. Look, for them to deny this would be literally, it's, it's kind of like the, the soldiers standing outside of the tomb that were paid to tell everybody somebody stole him. Right? But three days later, when 500 people witnessed Jesus walking on earth, being uh, taken up into heaven, they could not deny what they had seen and what they had heard. No matter how much you pay them off, they can't deny it. God helped the church to begin operating in the spirit of God, where the anointing of God resonates and that we are unafraid to pray for sick people when we see them, when we're, unaf when we're unafraid of calling out and looking at someone when they are manifesting something that is not of God and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, come out. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Come on, right? Somebody says, why don't we see uh, the dead being raised? When's the last time you prayed for a dead person? Right? If we begin walking in the, in the anointed, in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we uh, stop allowing the distractions of this world to be what is our main focus and we let Jesus be our number one focus, then everything changes. Look at our society. We live in an entertainment society. What's, what's become the focus? What do we got to have every Saturday? At least during this season, got to have our football. What do we got to have through the week? I mean, youth league sports has become a multi-billion dollar industry. You think it has something to do with those kids? Maybe just a little bit. But honestly, it is a tactic of the enemy. Where, where's the discipline of parents to say the priority is Jesus first and that's second? Right? Those are just a few things. 
The word in Spanish for fun is called divertido. And, and to have an excursion is called a, a diversión. So divertido is something to divert your attention away from reality. The, the excursions is just a diversion away from the everyday. And yet we allow the diversions and we allow ourselves to be diverted away from the plan that God has so often that we've become laxed, mediocre, and ineffective. And we wonder why the church is not seeing the dynamic any longer. That's not an indictment. That's not to be con condemning. It's to be a challenge. What can we lay down to allow God to be number one? We talk about, man, oh, in the old days, we used to see the power of God move. You know what? We didn't have as much distractions in the old days, did we? Now we have every excuse in the world why not to come to church. Okay, keep on going, Pastor. You got close enough. I mean, they noticed these men were uneducated. If you think about you go through history and you look at those with formal education. And, and, and really, it's not to say that education is a bad thing. I mean, but at the same time, there's some people who have educated themselves. I mean, think of Harvard and Yale who started out as Christian universities who are completely, utterly lost They've educated themselves so much that they've now lost the reality of who Jesus really is. I mean, if you look at those who were not uh, formally educated, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, William Carey, um, you know, Taylor, Hudson Taylor, a great missionary. And then, and then I remember a pastor in Honduras who literally couldn't read or write but yet planted over 50 churches. And I'm not talking about 50 little small 20-member churches planted 50 dynamic growing churches, couldn't even read or write, but yet had a passion for God and they couldn't deny the anointing and power of God on his life because when he showed up, he preached with authority and the power of God moved and people were healed and people came because they saw God move. It's not that education disqualifies, but the reality is, is that we need to make sure that we put, we are completely, the Bible even tells us, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. We need to be studied and prepared to be the effective men and women of God, but don't let our education become the priority over our anointing. Amen. They saw the boldness. They couldn't deny the boldness. I need to let me keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. The word boldness means lucid and daring statement. The Greek, the Greek word literally means telling it all. They're not afraid to tell it all. They're not afraid to deliver the truth. They're not afraid to, to speak forth what is right. I mean, the interesting part of that is that note that what the Jewish leaders did not do. They didn't attempt to disprove the resurrectionist moment. 
You'd think that, well, that ain't true. They didn't attempt to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and really, if, if there was a moment of possibility to be able to discredit these, these guys, it would have been at that moment. And you'd think if it had been possible for them to refute it at that moment, wouldn't the Sanhedrin seize that moment to shut them up, to, to, to quiet them? Because if they would have succeeded at that moment to be able to silence and, and, and discredit what they were speaking, how quickly that movement would have failed. But you know what? They knew it was true too. <laughs> they couldn't do it. They realized they'd been with Jesus. If we preach no other name, we should also make it evident that we've been with Jesus. Amen. I think that uh, I'm, I'm going to close because I got pages to go. <laughs> I think that we discredit, we, I'm, I'm cautiously speaking this. I think that when we try to nationalize Christianity, we put it in a position where a nation begins to dictate what Christianity is. When we try to nationalize Christianity, then the corruption of the nation begins to affect the church. Christianity is not an American religion. Christianity is not of this world. Christianity is something that supersedes every government system in this world. Christianity supersedes every culture of this world. And so therefore, when we operate as a child of the king, we begin operating in a different dimension and different culture, that system that this world has. That's why they don't understand it. That's why they can't get it. And that's when we become effective because we start operating in something that's, that supersedes their understanding and we see the supernatural instead of the natural take place and then they say, whoo, whatever that is, there's something different about those guys. There's something different about that, that people right there because they're not operating in the norm. They didn't stand up in front of the, the judge and say, you killed him. <laughs> they were powerful because they were operating in an anointing and an authority that was above the authority that was given to the people that were speaking to them. By what power and authority are you speaking? I'm speaking in the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm speaking in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christ meaning Messiah, the King. I'm, I'm speaking in King Jesus' name. And his authority supersedes yours. And you have a right to be intimidated. You have a right to be afraid. You have a right to want to tell me to be quiet because this power is going to supersede yours. It's going to spread across the world and you can't stop it. Come on, right? And I feel the Holy Ghost right now, dude. Shoo! You feel that? I want to shout right now, dude. I... I pray, God, forgive me. This, 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 Kim and I talked yesterday. Here I was struggling yesterday. I'm like, man, I don't know why I'm struggling. Why am I, why am I 
in this funk right now? What's going on? What's, what am I battling against right now that's got me in a funk? Because the enemy doesn't want this message to go out. The enemy doesn't want this body to operate in its full authority. The enemy doesn't want us to operate how he's commanded, how the Lord has commanded us to operate, to be a, a body unified with, a, with a, a direct mission that he's given us. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we will see the transformative power of God that when somebody comes in confused, in Jesus' name, be healed. Come on, right? God, help us to operate in that. And help me finish this message next week. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really do. I, I was telling Jaden today, I said, man, I just, I love our church. I really do. I love being a part of this wonderful congregation. And I said, I, I just feel like something's getting ready to happen. And, and, and whatever thing that I'm dealing with, I'm just saying, you know, I don't know, I don't know what he's getting ready to do. But all I want to know is I want to be, I want to be in line with what God wants to happen. And I want a people prepared to be ready for what God's about to do. And it's bigger, it's, it's, it's bigger than just Alcoa Maryville Church of God. I believe God's about to do something enormous. And, and I'm, I'm excited to be a part of the body of Christ at this moment. It might look bad. It might look bad in the natural eyes around the world. But let me tell you something. In the spirit realm, there's some great movement taking place. There's, there's some stuff happening that it's just, whew, it's happening. Get ready. As my, uh, as, as the big old T.D. Jakes would say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Amen. Father, I pray, Lord, that there will be a sharpening of the sword of the Spirit in each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that you will begin to dissect anything that's in us that would hinder the plan that you have for us. God, I pray, Lord, as the, as the man on the, on the street with the son who was lame said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm praying for faith to rise up in each one of us. I pray that we grow in that faith as we study your word. I pray that, that we walk in the anointing. Your word says if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I pray that we will, that we will quit giving in to the desires of our flesh, that we will find a peace that passes understanding in you and that we, we become so hungry and thirsty after your righteousness that we can't help but be walk in the outflow of the infilling of your spirit. God, quicken us, anoint us, minister through us, minister through us in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, you know what? I'll, I'm glad to see you guys on a Wednesday night. And, and tell some of the folks that, 
that say we need another service, tell them to come out. We have service on Wednesday night, right? We have a church up here. Amen. Love you guys tremendously, and I'm so super thankful for you guys. Um, I look forward to capping this off next week and jumping into the next chapter. Um, this coming Sunday, we'll be jumping into First Peter chapter three, verse seven. And um, if you want to study up, men, it would be good to, for you to study up. <laughs> it's going to be a good word, ladies. You come with your with your cheering uh, pom-poms and we're going to have a great service straighten up these men I mean uh, to preach the word of God God bless you guys love you and if you have an opportunity spend a little time in fellowship